0: You know, so much, so much of being a woman uh, involves this feeling of like you're looking around you and seeing all the ways that you're failing, you know, like you're failing as a mom because you're not the like the Instagram mom and you're failing as the, you know, as a woman because you have, you know, a couple extra pounds beyond what they tell you is is the perfect amount for your, you know, like BMIs can suck it.
1: Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... (laughs) wait hold on sure sex is well sexy but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun hi i'm el greco and i write steamy romance on my podcast steam scenes i'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive (laughs) see what i did there conversations on writing all the naughty bits sit back relax and join us for some scintillating conversation on steam scenes Bethany Bennett grew up in a small fishing village in Alaska, where required learning included life skills like cold water survival, along with several other subjects that are utterly useless as a romance writer. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, Eventually eventually settling in the Northwest with her real-life hero and two children, she enjoys mountain views from the comfort of her sofa, wearing a tremendous amount of flannel. Me too and drinking more coffee than her doctor deems wise welcome bethany to steam scenes thank you so much for being here
0: oh thank you for being here
1: okay. you know it's kind of
0: funny when you laughed you're like i don't know about that and i thought well i do know where the heat centers are in the body now
1: yeah <laughs> i mean i can totally see that if you're doing some sort of like survival thriller, survival, yeah
0: freezing in a cabin and they have to cuddle naked for warmth you know i mean the fact that your groin is actually a heat center of your body is really useful information in that format i may have to use that someday
1: (laughs) i mean truly i feel like i feel like i don't know enough about that shit you know and i'm always googling stuff that it's like if the fbi is looking at my search result like i'm (laughs) fucked there's a murder in my neighborhood they're pointing at me
0: like wave at them and go hi Hello, agent who's assigned to me i hope you enjoy your job you know <laughs> best place to bury
1: bodies let's ask google You yeah know I
0: mean? oh well what's great is the conversations between my bestie and i who's also a writer and we have actually decided like we have the whole thing planned out neither of us write mysteries or thrillers or romance even romantic suspense so really this is pretty much information but we've decided that if you're looking from like a radar kind of thing from from a an airplane looking for fresh graves, what you really need is you really need to actually bury them like standing up, which oh. means a whole lot more digging on your part. Oh, but yeah, then, but it's a narrower hole. It's a narrower hole that does not look like a grave. That's actually and so we have hard. like a whole plan. And our husbands worry about us, but we have a whole plan. <laughs> <laughs> just in case we ever need it. <laughs> well, thank you for that tidbit. Now I know how to bury
1: the bodies nice yes. <laughs> who says you, you don't just, learn anything on a podcast right we are nothing but servicing <laughs> we are providing a service to the community <laughs> <laughs> so if your best friend is a writer, is this like best friend from like grade school or is this like no. la- later in life best friend?
0: No, I have, um, I'm one of those people that I collect best friends. Like I don't have just one bestie, you know, okay. um, there, there's, there's those. I mean, And, and I do see those people that are like, this is my best friend. And they are like, they're the only best friend and they have a crown and that's it. Like they're it. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I have, I have my bestie from, from high school and yep. I still check in with her all the time. Marco Polo is a wonderful app that we just like, we can video chat back and forth and um and then but my bestie this this one (laughs) she's my writing bestie and I met her actually the first night of the historical romance retreat in Spokane that really like kicked my butt into gear as far as writing goes and she bounced up to me I was standing there in a middle in a really awkward group of other women who were like hi I'm here alone and we're all (laughs) looking at each other going oh yeah so how are you? Where are you from? I was, it was super, super awkward. And then here comes this fantastic woman who bounces up and she's wearing a uh, Regency style police over her jeans and t-shirt that is covered in black octopuses or octopi. Is it octopuses or octopi? I have, I have no, idea. no idea. But basically she's covered in the kraken and she <laughs> bounces up and she says, hi, I don't know anyone here and I looked at her and she had red lipstick all over her teeth and I said well then as your new best friend I need to tell you, you got to fix this like here and I just fixed her and we have just been inseparable ever since
1: that's actually a great story so Wait, why? <laughs> now tell me why the retreat kicked your butt into gear writing wise had you written a book is it, were you like embarking on your first book or tell me about this
0: well, okay. So I, the first time I remember thinking I'm going to write a book, I was like in second grade and it was about a, um, a leprechaun who was actually an alien and was his UFO, like spaceship was my mother's China. It was very, very second grade. And it was very weird, but I remember being so proud of like dividing up the chapters into, uh, or dividing up the paragraphs into chapter headings. And, um, that's oh, like the earliest that. memory I have of this, but, um, and recent and recently, a friend from high school. Said, she said, "You know, you always said." She messaged me like last week, and she goes, "You know, you always said that you were going to write, and here you are doing it." And I was like, "I can't believe I was actually like verbal about it in junior high and high school, but apparently I was." Um, so it's kind of been always in the back of my head, but uh, I I wrote my first regency that God willing will never see the light of day. Oh, um, <laughs> I was like, 50, <laughs> you know, and um. I was super uncomfortable with sex and yet fascinated by it. And so it was very, very chaste and very like, I think um, that there's a, there were euphemisms used for when the, for when she like, she walks in and he sees her and he gets a heart. And like, it was like all of his blood headed South was basically like the equivalent of the steam in the entire book. And, um and so it was, so it's always kind of been this thing, but uh, I wrote another that was a contemporary that also God willing will never see the light of day. Um, and it was a series of three that I, I wrote when I was in my early twenties. Okay. And, um, again, I wasn't comfortable putting sex on the page and it just didn't feel right. And I, I wasn't like me as a writer yet. And, um, and I, because honestly it came down to fear. It came down to that, that, uh, (laughs) <laughs> that internalized misogyny that we carry so often as women growing up, you know, in this culture mm-hmm. that uh that like there's something writing about sex is dirty or yeah. writing about, you know, that there's something to be ashamed of somehow. And um and so it's just like brutally awkward and uncomfortable and I was afraid of and I had this thing in my head going like oh my gosh, my mother is going to read this. Uh, and so <laughs> I was just like I was just kind of, that fear held me captive for years and years and years. And I finally got to, um, I call, uh, 37 was the year of fuck it. I mean, I was like, I finally got to the point Mm. where I was old enough to be like, I don't care. This is me. (laughs) Oh, how fantastic. And so that coordinated or coincided rather with, uh, with me going to this historical romance retreat in Spokane. And, um. And it is, it's is this gorgeous event. I mean, like, it's like 200 readers that are all passionate about the historical romance genre. People dress up. There's all sorts. It, it's just, it's, it, it, they are my nerds. They are my people. I absolutely love it. And, um, but that was the first time. And I was going there to, uh because I, I got, I had the chance to meet Eloisa James. Okay and because she was just like she was very very her writing was very pivotal in my past and so uh, I had surrounded myself basically in this this event with all of these readers and it's really hard to feel like the weird one because you want to write historical romance when you're surrounded by people who are fa- who are just like passionate about the genre and they're in costume and they're sitting there and it's at like official tea time and <laughs> I love it. And, I love it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you're like, wow, I'm not alone.
1: <laughs> so, so at that point, you were there as a writer, not a reader, or I guess no. you were there as both, as a fan of the the you know Eloisa James and the writers there, and 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 the
0: books, but also as a writer too. Well, I was there as a reader at that point, and I okay. had this idea. I had this one scene, mm-hmm. um, and which ended up being uh, like the balcony scene and any rogue will do when he goes under her, under her skirt and, um, out on the balcony at their engagement ball. It's a masquerade ball. Cause I hit the big dude and I had to have a skirt that was big enough to, you know, accommodate a big dude. You know. and Regency is really bad for that. So they're a masquerade. <laughs> and so she has these like massive, massive, uh, skirts that are, uh, like, if you've ever seen that meme over that woman in, um, you know, in, late 18th century dress where it, they said, when you need to smuggle a widescreen TV out of your, out of, out of your friend's house, you know, <laughs> like it's a dress like that. And, uh, and so I had this scene in my head, but I didn't know who they were mm. or what, like why they were there beyond the obvious. And, um, and so I was talking and I had certain elements of it were really, really clear in my head, like her white knuckling the balustrade of the, of the balcony you know, and having to stand there and pretend that everything was okay as she was coming. And like, I had like certain elements of that scene in my head. And so I was at lunch or tea or something with uh, this group of lovely ladies and, um, and the woman that's now, you know, my critique partner and bestie. And, uh, and they'd, they'd asked, well, like, do you ever want to write one? Do you because so many of our readership actually really does want to write too. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, well, I have this scene. And so I told them about it, and everyone's like, "I would read the hell out of that book, write it." And um, and that was the first really like encouragement that I had wow. received. And wow. so, and then of course, uh, my friend, or she she writes, uh, she writes as Daphne Chase, but she is she's agented, she's on submission, um, and she's uh, and so she was so funny because she goes and shoves me in front of the first, the first author we come across. Hey Beth, tell her about the scene. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm gonna I, kill you. <laughs> But it ended up just being one of those situations where I, um, you know, there was a lot going on in that week for me of like being like, wow, I'm not alone. And yeah. I'm not the only person that thinks that this would be a fun scene. And I'm not like, like, maybe I, you know, I need to do this. And so she shoves me in front of this, this author. Who's uh lovely, she writes, um, medieval for, uh, for Harlequin historical and her name is Nicole Locke. And she, uh, and so I'm babbling about this scene, right? Like, I have no clue of like a pitch or an elevator pitch or anything, right? I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that very well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and bless her because she stood there for all of it. And then she leans over and she put her hand on top of mine and she looked me dead in the eyes and she said, Are you serious about this? Huh. And it was the first time anyone had ever asked me that. And it was the first time I ever had to own it out loud. And I said, Yeah, yeah, I am. And she said, "Okay, then write your scene and figure out who they are and connect with me on Facebook and we will message back and forth and I'll help you through this. And she did. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So generous. So incredibly generous with her time and um, with her time and her attention and her I mean, she is. Anything I know about craft, I learned from Nicole and her shoving books in my hands basically across the distance. But uh, through the entire drafting of Any Rogue Will Do, she and I checked in um, via Messenger at 8.30 every night. What's mm-hmm. your word count? How are you doing? Are you writing? Kick your butt into gear, like, you know, every single night. Um, and so we ended up being like a writing accountability partners through the whole thing. And then when I was like, I wrote a book, she was yeah. like, yay, you wrote a draft. Okay, oh. let's talk about. <laughs> talk about the hard truth, right? <laughs> let's talk about POV and let's talk about show versus tell. And let's talk. about. <laughs> and then I just had to edit the hell out of it and learn like really basic craft stuff for the next yeah. like year and a half, basically. Until I thought that it was ready for other eyes, and um, and kind of the rest is history. Like I, I entered it into two um, RWA writing contests, and I uh, I tied for first place on one of them, and I came in third as a finalist um, in the other. But the one where I came in third was um, that's where I got my agent from, and so and my agent is just like phenomenal. She's absolutely amazing.
1: Very and cool. Yeah, and, and you submitted, so you're
0: public. You're you, you. didn't self-publish. You're no, traditionally no. Published, I'm right? traditionally published. I okay. am traditionally published. Yeah. Okay. Um, part of that is just because I look at uh, in my critique group that we have. Uh, she, there's one. There's one lovely uh, self-pub. Her, she publishes as Catherine Stein, and she does really, really cool like steampunk stuff, and um, and so I see what Cat does. Right. I see everything she has to do, and I'm like, I just want to write kissing books. Like, oh my gosh, the amount of work to yeah. be an indie author yeah. is absolutely just mind blowing. Yeah, and um, and so I guess you could say that, like, at my core, I was like, I was wanting to be lazy about it. I was wanting to just focus on, you know, just writing, um, but. But even even being traditionally published, there's nothing lazy about it. It's just I mean,
1: you know, and I don't think (laughs) think it's I don't think it's lazy. I mean, I think part of it is like steampunk, for example, like there are just certain, uh, you know, there are just certain genres within the genre, let's say, or, or, you know, that that are actually really hard to find publishers for, you know, because the topic is so niche. Like, I think steampunk is one of those. It's like super niche that publishers are just like, eh. You you know what I mean? And they'll be like, well, if it was Regency or well, if it was this or well, if it was that. And, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, as a writer, sometimes you're just like, yeah, no, I can't write that. And so I want to write this thing. And, um, and, you know, and the publishers, because it's not, you know, in vogue, the publishers just don't touch it.
0: Exactly. They have to be willing to sink,
1: you know, so much money
0: into it and kind of be guaranteed of a payback.
1: Yeah. And so,
0: um, yeah, so there is a certain element where I'm lucky that I, I write Regency. Um, I have a, a pitch coming up um, where I'm, I'm at the stage of the writing of this this last series where I'm um, I'm just finished the draft for book three of my Misfits of Mayfair. And so now, once I'm through the editorial phases, like the, um, the developmental edits for book three, that's when I can actually pitch to and give my... Um, give my editor like first pick basically of the next series and so I have a couple different options but one of them is Victorian and so I'm going to kind of see how Grand Central Forever feels about Victorian uh, (laughs) if they think that (laughs) if they think that there's enough of a readership now for Victorian because Regency has for so long just been a staple and Mm -hmm. and so it, it is you know it is kind of an easy sell in that sense but um yeah so we shall see
1: I have a we question actually. about Regency because I don't read a lot of historical. I should read more because I enjoy them, but I write contemporary, so I tend to read contemporary. Mm-hmm. It, it, are, are all the Regencies like sex on the page, smutty, smut first, or are there some that are closed the door? Because the ones I've always read have been very. Here we go. You know? <laughs> <Like, laughs> Doors wide open. Come on in. You know. Um. And so I'm just kind of curious if there if there are any that are closed door.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. There okay, are. There okay. are apps. And, and, and even with sex on the page, there are varying degrees of, you know, um, like I, I actually, I'm reading, um, Samara Parish, uh, how to survive a scandal is a new release that's coming out soon. And she's one of my forever, uh, my grand central forever publishing sisters. So I scored an arc yes. um, and she's phenomenally talented. This is her debut. She's phenomenally talented. Um, but it's really kind of funny how she handled, uh, the sex scene. The first sex scene was, you know, uh, really great description really i mean she's the woman can write um but when like basically she comes and then the door closes and i was like that's an interesting choice you know so it's i think that there are varying degrees no matter what um Mm. and so but there are there are those that write um more chaste I hate the word like clean. I just, uh, cause it implies that what I write is dirty and it's not dirty. It's you know, Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> or we, <laughs> can <laughs> we can
1: reclaim the word dirty. We, can. Like to, we yeah. can reclaim the word dirty. We can reclaim
0: the word dirty. But yeah, so it's like, but there, uh, especially, I think there was, there was more of a market, um, Regencies especially were more chased back in the 80s and 90s. Right. Um. You had like Fawcett and Signet and these other uh, publishers that theirs were basically like fade to black. Most of them were just fade to black, right. which I think is why my mother was okay with me reading them, you know, because I picked up my first book. Uh, my first romance novel was An Early Engagement by Barbara Metzger. I love that you remembered it. How old were you? I was in fourth grade
1: amazing
0: and i was absolutely fascinated i'd never i mean i'd never even seen pride and prejudice i mean you're know, fourth grade you don't you don't know who jane austen right you know and so um and so i had never i'd never seen anything like this this concept of balls and gowns and carriages and you know what the hell was a cravat and like i just had no clue <laughs> right it was all new uh, <laughs> And, um, and it's kind of, and it's an ugly duckling story, which is really, really kind of close to my heart just because I, my awkward phase lasted till I was 27. Okay. I mean, straight up. So I, uh, so I love, I love, a I love an ugly duckling story. And, um, so it really just hit all the notes. Okay. And after that, I was that kid that as long as I stayed within those certain publishers who basically kept the steam level super low, my mom was fine with me reading them. And, um and so I, I would go and I would go into used bookstores and I would just look for the publisher's emblem. I didn't follow authors. I didn't read the blurbs, nothing. I just had my cart or a box or a bag or whatever. And I would just start at the A's and pull every single signet or regency you know, signet regency or a faucet regency that I could find.
1: Oh my God, that's fascinating.
0: And I would just and I and I would just walk out with these massive halls of books and I would just devour them. And that lasted well it I mean, that was just like my forever love was so um historicals kind of have a real place for me because that's where I began. And um and I think I liked the structure. I liked the structure of like society for good or evil, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how you may like it. Um there There were definite consequences to actions. there were definite um, uh, there were societal expectations and um, finding ways to achieve happiness and um, and create change within those barriers. Uh, looking back, that's kind of what I think where the fascination was too was mm. um, I liked because I, I you know I was a military brat i um, at the time when I was in fourth grade, we were living in Guam. I so I was literally on the other on the opposite side of the world from any family and any friends. And this was before the internet and before, you know, so the concept of like calling someone was a really big deal because it was super expensive. Right. There were international rates, there was no like free evening minutes type of situation. <laughs> there <laughs> was no know. Skype. There was no WhatsApp. There was yeah, no <laughs> Skype. There was no and so and so I had and I had just had three years. At the last duty station where it was like um, first and second and third grade. And so I actually had made friends, you know, oh, and yeah. I just had to leave everything behind. And so I think I liked the idea. I think that part of what appealed to me, but besides just the otherness of horses and carriages and lords and ladies, you know, I think that there was an element of uh, um, structure and you're entering this known world, you know. London and the ton and high society and right. that 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 was a world that I could revisit and it they may be new people but it was a really reliable world that I could go and revisit and you know even though I've I've never been to London it is on my bucket list um, but you know I could I was in fourth or fifth grade and I could talk about Hyde Park and I could talk about you know Gunther's for Isis and I could talk about all of the places you know I knew what all my Because this was this world that I was able to visit that was always there and always reliable and always the same. And I think that as a military brat, that was something I needed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I'm kind of curious what, you know, apart from it being sort of reliable, because, you know, what made you stick with romance? as opposed to say Agatha Christie, because I know I found actually a lot of solace in Agatha Christie's work when I was a kid. Oddly, I don't know, murder and mayhem is like in my (laughs) DNA apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it about romance that you decided that that was where you were going to sort of find your,
0: you know, your people? You know, um, I think maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, my mom reads reads uh cozy mysteries my mom reads mysteries. she doesn't like uh anything you know hardcore she's very much a cozy person right. uh and she jokes because she's like well there's nothing interesting in a romance like it's just you know i was like yeah i know someone has to die for you to care and so <laughs> and so, <laughs> so. Well, i don't know there's also sydney sheldon and daniel steele you know i jackie call <laughs> i used to read all that shit when i was a kid too <laughs> and so yeah but they were a little bit too like you know i mean um my mother was definitely a gatekeeper when it okay. came to what I was reading at that age, and um, those you know those gatekeeping tendencies are still present today, even though I'm in my 40s. And so she's a little bit horrified at what I write. But um, oh, no. okay, she's okay. She's a lot horrified at what I write. There was an entire conversation about if I pray and ask Jesus if it's okay before, before I actually open my laptop, and uh, and so <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> So I Have gave me- her out. I- I- yeah. Whoa. yes yes <laughs> all of the yes all of the yes uh she was uh we have there are three girls in my family and she was i, I mean don't, don't get me wrong i love my mom um but she really was perfectly situated to be a mother of teenage girls during the purity movement of the 90s i'm just saying
1: like wow
0: she was perfect so yeah there's a certain element there of no um, wonder
1: it took you a while to feel comfortable writing this sex yeah
0: scenes. there was always that feeling of like like oh my gosh my mother's gonna read this and then I finally started writing and I was like my mother's never gonna read this are you kidding me and so <laughs> it, it was very liberating and then she actually went and did I mean but I had to have I, I, I in her copy there's actually there's a list of pages to avoid and
2: there's like Oh,
0: and as wow. I'm like going through and I'm writing down what pages like for her to not read, because she asked me to do this uh, so so that she could read the book without without the dirty parts. Right. Is what she said. And so um, so that's why I actually I have a sales graphic that's like five stars. Really great. Except for the smut. Direct quote from my mother. Um, and uh, and I just cracked <laughs> it cracked me up. And so I had to make a sales graphic out of it. <laughs>
2: <gasps> really oh great, God, except for the smut.
0: <laughs> so, and I'm like, you didn't even read the smut. Come on! I think it's really great with the smut, but thank you. I bet she did read the smut. See, I would love to know if she actually did, but she claims she, she didn't.
1: Did, and I have a feeling she probably, maybe, enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> but she feels like she has to be like, oh, that's bad. Like, there's just, yeah, it's funny yeah. societal expectations. And when right. you're, yes. Right, yes. right, right, right. I would love it if one day she actually admitted that she did and that she actually gave me feedback on that. Besides just like, I can't read that. <laughs> so I think that would be great. But honestly, she's going to be lost hell in book two. If she actually reads book two, West End Earl, comes out at the end of June. And there's a sex scene in there that I absolutely freaking love. And I was really tempted to actually give it to you for, for this podcast. Except that it, it's not. It's a, a major Pivotal plot point. Oh, it's kind of a spoiler. Okay. And it was a total spoiler. And I was oh. like, ah, oh, I want to talk about it so bad. But <laughs> it's like, I'm like, no, I'll just talk about the other one that I really loved in in, in Any Rogue Will Do because, yeah.
1: Well, without uh, spoilers, what did you love about it? Like, just like generally, what was it, it that you're was, just like, oh my God, I
0: love it? Okay, I love it because um, Fee, uh, Ophelia, Fee is the heroine of that book and she is a complete and total badass. And uh, part of Okay, not part of her journey, her arc is her reclaiming femininity. Um, That means in the way that she dresses, in the way that she thinks of herself, in the way that she carries herself, and definitely in the bedroom, Um, because she has been living as her brother for the last ten years. It's a girl in pants story.
2: Oh, Um, fabulous!
0: And it's not a, um, it's not a situation where like you know she, um, she wants to be you know and you know her her brother for whatever or she wants to be you know like you kind of you always get this thing where it's like a short period where they're in pants and and that was always kind of the use of the trope but this was uh she it was for safety it was for safety reasons so she has to impersonate her brother who died and basically she's a, they're twins and she um thankfully she just naturally is built in the way that she's able to suc- successfully impersonate a man
2: okay. and
0: um and i also wanted to write a heroine who was completely without curves Mm-hmm. Um, my, my first heroine is, is she's, cur- she's lush. And I loved the way that, uh, Ethan just adores Lottie and just thinks her body is just blows his mind. Right. But I, I also wanted to explore like the opposite end of that spectrum. Right. Where like, if you're a woman, especially during the Regency when when I mean, curves was good, yeah, you know, curves were, were, were lovely. Um, and, um, that was kind of their standard duty involved curves. Well now basically she's built like, you know, one of the the runway models that you see now, you know, in New York fashion week, zero curve and everything is straight lines and everything is bony and everything is like, she's that, she doesn't carry fat on her frame. That's just the way she's built. And, um, and so I really wanted to explore that where like take that and put it into a time when they wanted to have curves and they wanted to have breasts and they wanted to have hips and they wanted to have all those things. And how, as a woman, how do you feel? How yeah. do you feel about your body? And, um, and as a man loving a, who is built like that, when your society around you has expectations of, of the opposite, you know, how does that work? And so I kind of wanted to ex- explore that a little bit. And um, I have a friend who is built like that. And she was my sensitivity reader for <laughs> for oh, my, yes. uh, I was like, I was like, this is your body, basically. So, and she was fantastic to She was really, really wonderful, um, very open, blunt conversations about like, you know, the first time you get naked with a guy, what do you cover first? Like, what are you most uncomfortable with? What are you, you know? And so it was fantastic to have that, um, that kind of support from a friend. And, uh, but anyway, sorry, big, long answer to a simple question. Um, (laughs) This scene, she is, uh, at this point, they have been sexually involved. She knows that she loves him. He said that he loves her. He, um, he, uh, but she, she overhears something and realizes that a lot of what he's been saying um, doesn't jive with what what he's been telling her. And basically on his side, like he's just desperately trying to fix everything. Mm. And, but he's, because now that he knows, I mean, they've been friends for years, but now he knows that she's a woman. And so he's now been sucked into this concept of like, well, she's a woman, so I'm not going to bother her with that. And so she realizes that that's what he's been doing and she realizes that everything else is going on. And she basically, she goes and she rocks his world (laughs) and leaves him hanging with balls on purpose. Uh, And essentially just gives him the finger. as She walks away.
1: Oh! (laughs) And
0: it's the first time that I have ever written any, I mean, you can't call it a hate sex scene because it's not hate sex, but it's super pissed off, angry sex, but he has no idea. For her, it's this like deliberate calculation of like, fuck this. I am going to take control of this. I get to choose when I say goodbye. I get to choose how I say goodbye. This is for me, not you. And she makes sure she gets off and she walks. And honestly, and it's just like, and it's such a different dynamic than what I'm used to writing. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a different dynamic, but every time I go back and read it, I'm like, Oh damn. I love her. <laughs> like I just, yeah, I love That's it. Excellent.
1: So I'm curious, you know, w- now that you're kind of comfortable writing
0: these scenes, like what, what got you over the hump to become comfortable to write them? Um, I really think it was like, it was, I turned 37. It was the year of fuck it. I mean, I just, really, I finally got tired. You know, um, I really got tired of even thinking about what someone else thought. Mm. Even like, and beyond thinking about it, but then worrying about it. And then on top of that, like changing yourself to accommodate their opinion. Um, right. You know, so much, so much of being a woman uh, involves this feeling of like you're looking around you and seeing all the ways that you're failing. You know, like you're failing as a mom because you're not the like the Instagram mom and you're failing as the, you know, as a woman, because you have, you know, a couple extra pounds beyond what they tell you is, is the perfect amount for your, you know, like BMIs can suck it. Like, like they have this whole, like it's like we're bombarded all the time with feeling like we need to change.
2: It is extraordinary
0: how often we fail, isn't it? It really, really is, even though it's not necessarily failure, is
1: it? No, it's not. It's individuality. But it's, it's really extraordinary how often we fail. Um, you know, like, the, the what, what are the ones that really get to me is when you, like, sort of, like, you know, uh, 10 things that you're you're folding your sheets wrong, or, you know what I mean? Like, I bet you don't know how dirty your bathroom really is. I mean, it's like, <laughs>
0: Oh, thanks! Like, oh, good. Something new for me to worry
1: about. Oh, Thank great. you. Great. So I'm not <laughs> scrubbing my grout well enough. Thanks for telling me that. Like, it, and it's putting it like, in print. And putting it <laughs> like, not only can, are we not cleaning our bathrooms, like, like not only are we shamed for maybe not cleaning our bathrooms on the daily, but then if we do do it on the daily, we're shamed because I bet you don't know where that dirt is really hiding. It's really kind of mind blowing. I don't see. Like, I don't see articles about, like, guys, like, cutting your grass wrong. Right?
0: <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you have, um, and then you always have the counter article that is, like, set aside the scrub brush and go outside and play with your kids in the sunshine because these are the golden years. And you shouldn't have to worry about the condition of your house because parenting is more important. And I'm like, just, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's hurry up, clean, clean your bathroom
1: more thoroughly faster so that you can go out and play with your kids so that you don't miss this time in life.
0: (laughs) And then make sure that you're also meeting your deadlines at work because who needs sleep? exactly
1: <laughs> and by the way you should be working because you are a woman and you can do everything right yes it's yes. a little freaking exhausting man it's it is a little exhausting Exhausting. It is exhausting. <laughs> and so and then they're like oh but you shouldn't be reading or writing smut now should you well jesus yes. christ we need something <laughs> we
0: really need like well, you can do anything you want but only do this right <laughs> Unless you like look at the magazines that are like you're doing sex all wrong, right. <laughs> and you do have to wonder too. Like remember the old, the those old Cosmos where it's like you know thirteen tricks for a better blowjob, and I'm like, dude, it's really not that complicated. I mean, like how how much are you having to stretch for writing material if like every 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 month it's some new trick to do to his knob? I'm like, really? I mean, it's kind of kind of straightforward. There there are some. Really? Enthusiasm is the only thing you need. Really, truly. Enthusiasm is the only thing you need. Everything else is negotiable. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I, I,
1: you know, I spent some time working in women's magazines and, and they actually did, you know, preying on insecurities on the, you know, on the front cover at the checkout line really did sell sell tickets, sell tickets, sell, sell magazines, sell, like it was what moved a magazine that, and like Oprah on the cover, but it was, you know, there were certain things that would sell the magazine. And one of that was preying on women's insecurities, you know, and how to get a tighter butt in three days. And it was really kind of, the formula was really kind of horrible, really horrible. Cookie is a good word. it was, it was really, it was really disgusting. And part of the reason why I got out because I, I felt like, you know, I was working in, um, beauty and fat and fitness and a little bit of fashion, but God, me and fashion did not get along. Um, and, and it was to the point where it was like, we were like telling women to do dangerous things in, in pursuit of this, you know, this sort of like you know, this, this this weird perfection that, you know, and perfection is different in everybody's minds, yet the industry sort of forces uh, into a sort of perfection mold that you have to be buffed and glossed and, you know, no grays and this size and this weight and this bra size and all of that. And most of it is, is comes, you know, is actually just kind of like, you know, comes out of like male fantasy. It's out of a male's brain, you know, it's just poof. This is what the guy says is perfect, and and it's not. (laughs) Okay, no tangent. Sorry,
0: (laughs) bunny trails, but bunny trails fun. But I completely agree. I completely agree, and I think that maybe that's why uh, romance still holds a stigma in so many areas, where because it is, it's the audacity Mm
2: -hmm. to
0: explore pleasure from a female gaze. It's the audacity to reclaim our sexuality and you know, to be in, in that. And I think that's probably why I love that scene in West End Earl is because it's about her,
1: you Mm
0: know, angry. And she's like, I want one last memory that I know for sure. I know exactly what the fuck is happening. Right. And she makes it and she walks. And I think that there's a certain, like there is, there's, there's, you know, the audacity to actually claim your sexuality, to actually pursue pleasure um. And yes, there's a big, there's a massive factor in romance of these are two people that are coming together, like whatever gender or whatever, like these are two people or more (laughs) that are coming together that are, um, experiencing pleasure and looking for pleasure and giving pleasure and receiving and being open and honest. And that's all really wonderful and beautiful. Um, but I think there's also that certain element of where you have to acknowledge that this, especially if you're in a historical format, uh, the heroine claiming her right to decide with reclaiming her right to make sure that she is getting what she needs out of it. Right. And, um and so, yeah, I mean, that scene may not hit readers. All of them may be like, Oh my gosh, like using sex as a weapon. And as a general rule, no, I don't condone using sex as a weapon in that particular instance, though, I think. And so, um, And so, yeah, I think that's probably why I, why I really like, I love that scene. But it is, the like the details of it. If we were to actually read it, it it would totally be a spoiler. And so, I'm sorry. Here I am talking about something. I'm like, and I didn't give it to you to read. I mean, you can't read it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but I think this does hit a really great point. And because generations of women and and I'm saying my generation. Um, I think I'm a little bit older than you, your generation, um, you know, even like you, they're like maybe not until like my daughter's generation, maybe they're just starting to kind of come out of that. But the idea of claiming women's pleasure is huge because for so long, women were taught that sex was not about our pleasure. It was, yeah. it was not about a woman's pleasure. It was about a man's pleasure. And, it's you know, how it, it's how to get him off. Yes. <laughs> How to get him off, how to give him the best blow job, how to, like, there was never, you know, you know, like porn, if you're looking at porn, I mean, porn was made for the male gaze, like women, aren't those women, they're not having a good time. Yeah, a lot of, people, they're interchangeable, you know, I mean, that's like, not what's going to make her feel good, you know, I'm not saying she doesn't want to be there, I'm just saying that it is really about what is going to give the man pleasure and not necessarily about a woman, a woman's sexual pleasure, because that's what our society said for a very long time. And it's only just now starting to open up to female pleasure, Uh, really only just now. And this is how many years after the women's movement? (laughs) Right. Yes. You know, how many years after the free love of the hippies? Because even that was probably it was still about male, you know, male pleasure. Exactly. It really was. So, yeah, I'm, I, this, this always gets my, this always like lights me on fire. I am...
0: <laughs> yes. It's something that I can go out go on and on about as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Because I do, I do feel like that's why people, you know, that's why mainstream media kind of denigrates romance. That's why, you know, the New York Times book review refuses to review it. Like there is just this sense that like, you know, it, it's this sort of like, well, that's just a thing that chicks like.
0: Yes, exactly. And, and bored housewives, mm-hmm. because, you know, bored housewives that's, that's what they, that's what they like. It's, it's bored well, housewives. It's like, the concept there being that they're a housewife. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. So, yeah. Like I said, I can. I...
1: Or also bored, because that uh-huh. says that they don't have an active and imaginative sex life, which could, which is likely or could be or probably furthest from the truth. Exactly. You know, because part of what we we are giving to readers is fantasy, and fantasy is actually very integral to having a healthy, active and happy sex life. Absolutely. You know, so absolutely. The, so the the work fuels that for women. So it's not that these are oh poor these oh poor women who need to read romance novels to get off. No, this is actually a very
0: healthy a very healthy thing for them to do. Yeah, absolutely, yes. And, um, and yeah, but I think that there's just, you know, there are so many layers. There are so many layers to unpack you now, um, because even, even just the concept of like board housewife, I mean, do you want to be a housewife? Fantastic. Okay, great. Um, i to be working out of the home. Okay, great. Do you want to be working in the home? Okay, great. You no, know, that's, and we do have that freedom now, but they right. still, their default is board housewife, like shove you back in this box. Yep. And so, yeah, we, yeah. I think, so I think that, um, if you're a part of Romance Landia, you know. <laughs> but if you're outside of Romance Landia, I think that there's still a lot of waking up that needs to happen as to uh, the work that this genre is doing. I agree. I completely agree. And given the fact that it
1: is like a billion dollar industry, the fact that it is perpetually ignored, you know, they don't ignore um, billion dollar industries generally speaking and yet this is one that is constantly sort of shoved aside and 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 just kind of like you know they close the like close the door talk about close the door they close the door on the industry like it doesn't even exist exactly it's just kind of shocking It's kind of shocking (laughs) (laughs) okay so to you Uh
0: what makes a sex scene good um, for me, it has to be the emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very much of just an emotional reader. Um, I don't necessarily, I mean, like there's obviously there's different types of erotica and things like that, you know, and some, but some of it is just complete and total pure fantasy and it's body parts. And, um, it's not necessarily the emotional connection between the people. I, I, for me, I need to have the emotional connection in order to not be bored because let's let, I mean, let's be real. There's only so many ways that tab A and slot B work together. And I need to know why should I care about the people doing this together? Right. And so um, for me, it's the emotion, um, which is why if I'm sitting down to writing, to write a sex scene, um, I have to have a dialogue first.
2: Mm.
0: Like that's what starts it for me. I have to have a piece of dialogue and that piece of dialogue gets me into their head, gets me into, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, the scene that we're going to read today is I, I knew that I wanted them to actually be like, <laughs> maybe some people could twist it and say it's a little bit profane thing, like the words of the the Church of England, you know, during sex, but I wanted them to be using the vows that they would actually be saying like during sex. Um, and so that, and that was the dialogue that I had. And I had uh, the piece of dialogue when, like, when he actually, like, really sees her breasts for the first time, and he's like, and and she and she's like, I made the normal response to, you know, <laughs> 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 and um, so those were the pieces of dialogue that I had for that for that scene, okay. and so I think that um, when I'm writing, of that, I have to have the dialogue to be able to get into the moment because otherwise it's like yeah they have sex and I'm not one of those writers that you know puts in caps and you know inserts it you know insert sex here like going with the story I I'm very linear when I'm writing and so I have to be able to be like all right wherever I'm at whether that means that I am driving and dictating or if that means I'm in the middle of a coffee shop and like if someone you know looks over my shoulder well then they're going to get an eyeful aren't they they should probably respect people's privacy and just, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> if that's what's on the docket for the day, that's what's on the docket for the day.
1: So we're writing. (laughs) You're the second interview this week that said that, well, you should be, (laughs) you should give people their privacy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, Before we dive into your sex scene, I did want to ask you this. And, um, Because I saw this that you threw up on IG, which, by the way, you are like the queen of social media. I think you're so good on there. And I'm like always and I suck. And I'm just like, oh, my
2: God. Oh,
1: my God. I want to do what she does. I'm so bad at social media. Um, But you had written an Instagram post about romance novels playing uh, that you were working on an article uh, about how romance novels played a role in your journey of domestic violence. And I wondered if we could just talk about that for a minute, because sure, I was like, wow, that's, that's really big stuff. Um, what, what was that role? How did, how did they bring you out?
0: Well, um, as I've mentioned before, I came from this very like conservative Christian background and don't get me wrong. God and I are good, you know, but, um, but I am very much, I am now very separate from that conservative side of things. Mm -hmm. And, um, Growing up, uh, you know, uh, the concept of chastity and that you had to be a virgin when you got married, and you had to be, you know, all, all of these things. And so, I think that it really does it it grooms women mm-hmm. to be yeah. uh, to be vulnerable to certain situations. Yep. I'm trying to be I'm trying trying to be polite because I don't want to offend conservative Christians who may be listening. But at the same time, this was my personal experience, and I can only speak to my own personal experience. Uh, But in my case, I made the mistake of marrying my high school, my high school sweetheart, who was a like, legitimate psychopath. And I'm not saying that like, oh, he was crazy. I mean, like, I, I've sat many, many, many therapy sessions and, and just watched him completely hijack the session. Mm -hmm. And because the, the therapist is completely fascinated by exactly how twisted he is. Um, He's a legitimate psychopath. Uh, And I didn't have any tools to identify that beforehand um so i ended up in a situation where um he told me straight up that i was property (gasps) and he could do whatever he wanted and it was my job to basically be the receptacle and that was on the second day of our marriage so this started like like we took our vows and it went very bad very fast Um, and i went to the women that I trusted that were older women, right? And it was a Bible study group. And I went to these older women and I was like, this is not right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what I was basically told, um, the, the exact, the exact words were, you know, uh, love what you can love about them and pray of the rest. And which is fine. <sighs> Um, oh, that's not helpful. I mean, I mean, I, I imagine that like, they
1: would probably experience something very similar in their own lives. That that would be the only, you know what I mean? Like that's how it perpetuates, right? I it mean. is
0: how it perpetuates. And, and as I, and so I, I, I stayed and it got worse and worse and worse. And, um, and until this abuse was my normal, Ugh. um, it was mental. It was, it was physical um he didn't ever like curl up his fist and punch me but um it was a lot of sexual assault a lot Mm. of i'm not thinking about you anyway your opinion doesn't count Mm. um a lot of like just straight up just doesn't care like i was a thing and i was an object and um some really brutal awful things and uh i i I had to have like i had to have uh reconstructive surgery to fix some of the scarring Um, it was a bad situation. It was a very, very bad situation. And whenever I would go to try to try to talk to someone and be like, "This isn't," because in public we were so syrupy sweet. I mean, so syrupy, we're the perfect couple in public, and everyone. Loved and so when like when things finally came out and things finally ended, I um, like no one believed me at first, and they're still like my my, my ex in laws. Um, if anyone asks why the marriage ended, it was because I wasn't forgiving enough. Um, Hmm. Wow. And so uh, it was abusive, and he had a dysfunctional zipper. That sucker just would not stay up. And so, um, you know, like 13 affairs in two years. And um, so he had major problems, and that absolutely rolled into our marriage and created a horrific situation. Um, And honestly... (sighs) It was like the mindset that was that it was better to be abused and praying about it than first. Mm. and um I so there was a whole crap load that you have to like dig out from that. Right. Right? right. Um but at the time, I mean I had been I had been a romance reader forever at that point, right? I mean, this was in my early twenties and I picked up my first romance novel when I was in fourth grade. So but I had never actually actively looked for sex on the page. And at the time I could only read historicals because the last thing I wanted was mm. to actually read about like contemporary people <laughs> right, <of course. laughs> who had their shit together and weren't getting like pummeled <laughs> of course. and treated like objects and right. horrible. Right. Like I, I didn't want to read about other people that I could bump into on the street, being happy and actually getting it right. right. Um. And so I had to, ha- I had to ape to my historicals. Um, and at the time, my marriage, I didn't, I didn't want to read the, I mean, like, I, I, I was still conditioned to believe that, like, the sex on the page was, like, ookie, right? Um, but again, I, every time you would read it, like, that, that's not what I recognized. That wasn't my life. Hmm. And so, um, I did, I was, at the time, I was very much sticking to my good old, reliable, chaste historicals. And once again, complete and total escapism. Um, once I got through my divorce and I was a single mom and I was, you know, it was a mess. Um, it was the first time I realized that like, I had no idea what actual intimacy was supposed to look like.
2: Oh, wow. I had no
0: idea what, like what sex is supposed to be. I can look at it and say, I don't think he's supposed to like, rape you when you know you've just given birth 2 days before and you're held together by stitches. I don't think you're, that's actually supposed to happen. Right. Um right. But <laughs> like what, you know, like but what is that actually like, what's my other alternative? Like I I I've never been the kind of personality that goes and, like picks up a dude at a bar, right? I just right. I've just never been that person. Um and so I was like, like very few options were available to me. <laughs> well, yeah, and <laughs> at the I mean, time. you're
1: you're bringing you're bringing things to women in your circle, women that you, you should trust, women that, and they're actually saying, "Well, no, this is normal." When no, this is
0: not normal. Like, where do, so where do you figure out what normal is? Exactly. And so I turned to romance novels, and um, at the time, I still could not read contemporaries. Mm-hmm. um and so i went to all right i'm gonna go to sex on the page type historicals and so that's where that's where eloisa james comes in. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> because um, okay. she was she was at that point she for several years so there was a backlist and um she has a really great approachable way with her with her characters being very real and very flawed but mm-hmm. still i mean and they make mistakes but they handle them and um And which, you know, of course, is just good writing. But at the time, it was very revolutionary for me. And um, that's when I actually started deliberately looking for sex on the page, deliberately trying to figure out what is this supposed to look like. And uh, that's where we ended up. Um, That's, in in many ways, uh, historical romance novels with explicit sex on the page were my tutorial of what I should expect. I should expect a guy. And, and I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't cool, like, you know, rapey pirates. I was doing like, <laughs> I stumbled into a few of those and I was like, this is too familiar. No, thank you. And, um, and so, yeah, you, that, that was like my school room where I was trying to figure out and, and I think I was doing a lot of, I learned a lot of the things that most people, you know, when they're dating in high school. And, you know, they, they, they make mistakes. You have the guy that's a loser and you have the guy that's like, ah, eh, the timing's wrong. You have all those things, right? I didn't have any, I had married my high school sweetheart and I'd married him young and um, I didn't have any experience beyond him. Right. And so uh, this was actually like my way to kind of peek into that um, learning in a safe way.
1: That's like, extraordinary. Like that's no one wonderful. was touching me,
0: yeah. you know? I had complete control over when I closed the book. I had complete control over what I was going to skip. Like, it was a safe thing. You could learn at your own pace, kind of. I could. I could learn at my own pace. I could choose my own format. I could choose. And that's when I really started discovering, like, because when you're in that situation, you don't really have sexual fantasies. Right, um, right. there There's a very much a disconnect. For me, at least, there was very much a disconnect between my body and what's happened to my body. Right. Um, you know, I, I I spent, goodness, I spent years, there was one place back home in Kodiak that's um, called Abercrombie point and in Fort Abercrombie, and it's absolutely beautiful, and it's the most lovely place in the world for me. And in my mind, I would go and I would sit on the point, and whatever was happening to my body was whatever was happening to my body, and uh-huh. I, I didn't have to be there. I had control. That was the only way I could control, was to retreat in my head, to go sit on Abercrombie Point Point. And watch the whales pass in the water and watch the puffins in there with their funky little bodies and little wings and listen to the, listen to the waves and have the breeze on my face. And I completely escaped. You had your disassociation. Yeah. Complete and total yeah. disassociation. And so then when you're out of that situation, you have to rebuild and reconnect with your body. Yeah. You yeah, know? Absolutely. absolutely. You have to actually figure out like, like, am I? capable of like actually climaxing with another person you know am Mm -hmm. i capable of you know and especially when because of the damaged area that was um that was affected like it actually like physically affected my clitoris and so you know um because of all the scar tissue and everything and so like it was it was a real journey
1: it was absolutely
0: a journey and um and i think that also uh you know if there's anyone that is if this is sounding familiar to anyone,
2: yeah,
0: um, I usually, I urge people to go to um, thehotline.org. It's www.thehotline.org. It's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Okay. Um, the reason I say national versus going to your local is you don't have to worry about talking to someone on the hotline that you're going to run into in the middle of Walmart next week. Right. And especially when you're in a small town like um, because even though we were he was in the military we were we were moving around we like we're still in a small town it was just near an air force base um and so uh there is a, like there's this <laughs> almost incestuousness about small towns where like everyone knows everyone everyone's dated everyone. everyone's oh. and so it's uh you know i remember the first time where i was like holy holy crap like that was rape like yeah And actually attaching the label to it. I remember the first time that happened. And I remember very clearly going, but I can't walk into the police station because his sister works there. And I can't walk into the hospital because his mother works there. She's an RN there. And, and, And I was like 19 or 20. And traumatized and didn't know that I could walk in and be like, I need to make a report. And that woman is not in the room. You know, I didn't know that I could walk into the hospital and be like, I need to be seen. And that woman does not see my file. Like I I didn't know that I have that agency, that I have that ability, Mm -hmm. that I had that right because you're traumatized, you know? Um, And so I, uh, I really, really encourage people to, you know, if they're in this situation to understand that they, they there's so much better on the other side.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. scary
0: as fuck going to the other side. Yeah. But it is so worth it. Yeah.
1: But once you get through. And it's... therapy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And therapy. <laughs> and romance novels. And <laughs> and therapy. And hold the men in your life to the standard of what you see in romance lo- novels. Like the, the good, the healthy.
1: The example. healthy ones.
0: Yeah. Healthy ones. Yeah. Um, You know, because, yeah, I mean, there's. We have wonderful, lovely, inky dark corners in our genre, but um, the uh, but yeah, as far as like the healthy relationships that you see, when if you would not accept a hero in your romance novel to be a cheater or to hit his hit the heroine or any of that, if you would not accept that from a fictional man, then Don't why are you accepting it from, it from a real guy? Right. right. You know, hold the men in your life accountable to the same standard that you do your fictional men.
1: And, and I think, you know, you, you can probably speak to this when you do get out, you do find a network of women who are going to be there to hold you up and support you. Yes. And they might not be the ones from your current, you know, from your current exactly. situation or your current world. But when you do get to that other side, there is going to be a whole lot of women with their arms open.
0: Yes. And can I just say that it is so, it is so wonderful Um, because it's funny because like that article hasn't been published anywhere yet Um, my my publicist has it she's placing it you know I don't know where it's going to end up Mm -hmm. Um, but I made that one post on Instagram and um, you're the second podcast that has said hey can we talk about this and that is absolutely wonderful Um, for so many years I mean like it's it's been it's been years and years and years and years and i've had years and years of therapy and i've been, yeah. you know since since these events but um and my life is good now my husband is an absolute fantastic man i have two beautiful kids i'm like yeah, life is good okay um and there's hope and healing and a butt therapy on the other side uh, but i realized you know, on my personal like my personal facebook page over the years like during domestic violence awareness month like like i would or i would see a post that really resonated in this area and I would I would share it and there it was crickets as far as mm-hmm. interaction goes um and I realized that like no like what what the people that were on that page wanted was they wanted painting Bethany they wanted Beth, they wanted the Bethany that was funny and that shared about her cats and told you know wacky parenting stories and you know that's what they wanted me from me they didn't want the domestic violence survivor Bethany and it was kind of, it was disheartening. I mean, I still shared it, but there was every time after those first few times, you know, I would realize that like, one's going to like, but it's a matter of like, I'm not actually sharing it for them. I'm sharing it for me Yeah, and I'm sharing it for someone who may need to see it. Um, that's sort of
1: the thing too, even though it was crickets, I think that there were probably a lot of women that it, you know, it really sort of touched them in a certain way and they needed, like you said, they needed to see it, but maybe they can't be as forthcoming with like a like or a, you know, because there, there is, you know, I mean, you live through it. There is that sort of insidiousness of the spouse that might be you know, checking up on things or controlling certain, do you know what I mean? You know? So I think, I think that in a way I do kind of give people maybe a little bit more grace than they deserve, but you
0: don't know what's on the other end. Yeah. You don't know what's on the other end. And so, but I love the fact that, um, romance, (laughs) romance saves the day again, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that, I've had, I've had, you are the second uh, podcaster who's like, hey, this is an important conversation. Can we have this conversation? It is. And I'm like, thank you. Yes. It's, it's really, it's, it's lovely to, to see it. I mean, sometimes you kind of look back and you're like, oh, that ended up being used for good. Like your experiences become, you know, something that you can share and maybe help someone else. Right. And, but normally you are looking back and seeing and connecting the dots and realizing that okay, there was maybe some impact.
2: yeah. But
0: it's really cool to be able to see it in real time, to actually be having these conversations in about and about women's sexuality. And the fact is mm-hmm. that, I mean, the numbers for sexual assault are absolutely mind-bogglingly horrifying. Yep. And so too many listeners identify with at least part of what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, and for the, the fact longest
1: is, time, I was afraid yeah. of sex.
0: Yeah.
1: Afraid of it. Absolutely frightened. And this is like when I was older, you know, because of experiences that I had had, you know, so I think that, um, you know, this is a, an important conversation. Women's sexuality is an important conversation. You know, I, I mean, I think, you know you know our desires and our needs are important and also our safety is important. Mm-hmm. You know there there's so much to it. It's so layered and I, I'm so grateful that you're open about it so that people can sort of like have have the benefit of what you've experienced and to help them either go through it or just to help people sort of understand like what what
0: it is that's happened and why it's important to talk about it. Yeah. And for me that's why it's important to write it. Yes. Because that is very much why I put sex on the page. That is very much why, like, every sex scene that I write, um, it isn't just because, like, oh, this is hot, you know? I mean, that's definitely an element of, like, this is fun, and this is hot, and this is titillating, and this is whatever, and this is a, you know, an aspect of their relationship and all of that. But I, I try very hard to write the scenes that I needed to be reading back then. Yes. And so um yeah, that's that which I think is why the dialogue, because I'm such a verbal person. I mean like we're like an hour <laughs> into this and we haven't even actually read the scene yet. I have news flash, spoiler alert, I'm a verbal person. Um, but <laughs> but I think that um because I'm a verbal person, talking in bed is a big deal for me. Right. Laughing in bed is a big deal for me. Um being comfortable to be entirely yourself and loved yeah. entirely as yourself is a big deal. You know, I have been hurt directly because of like how much I talk, you know, I mean, like, it's funny, the things that therapy cannot erase all of it. Um, they do give, it does give you per- perspective, but mm-hmm. I heard over and over and over that why would any man want to touch you? All you have to do is open your big fat fucking mouth and no one would ever want to touch you again. And I gotta tell you, like that leaves Uh, a mark. Yeah, of course. And so I think that there are elements where like when I'm writing, some a lot of times these scenes are just one big middle finger. (laughs) 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 Where it's like, oh yeah, she's gonna talk. She's gonna talk (laughs) through the entire fucking thing and you can't do anything about it. And you know what? It's going to be
1: good.
0: It's going to be good.
1: It's going to be good. You know, it's it's funny because I, you know, I came to terms with a lot through writing, writing sex with my with myself and my own comfort level. Um, you know, with sex and my body and you know, what was weird and what or what I thought was weird and is this weird and you know, all of that I really feel like writing through it actually really helped me
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and so um and reading it of course too but for me it was really just it was really the act of writing and being able to sort of like really get comfortable with it through that absolutely although it still takes me forever to write my scenes but that's a whole other conversation I'm just kind of curious because you met Eloisa James did you ever tell her about how much of an impact her work had because I haven't met her but I've seen her in documentaries and stuff and it seems like the type she seems like the type of person that would just absolutely like embrace you and be lovely she is the
0: classiest lady yes she is absolutely the classiest lady and um you know actually I didn't tell her my husband did oh my god Uh, the last the last Eight of it's a historical romance retreat. They have a big Regency ball. Everyone is in costume. There's like period dancing. There's food. It's amazing. It's just this phenomenal experience. And my because this was uh, just in Spokane, my husband went with me, and so he was he was in you know he was in costume and oh how fantastic he was just (laughs) did he dressed up bless the man I was like well I'll try to kind of keep it and he goes no. Ace, gonna do this. If you're gonna do this, do it right. Foof me up. That's exactly what he said. Foof me up. I'm like, Foof All right, buddy. Up. You're gonna get lace cuffs, and you're gonna have a lace trim cravat, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do it right. It was fantastic. Um, so he is just—he's the best. Um, oh my God, <laughs> And yes, awesome. things like that exist. Um, <laughs> and, but he marched right up to Eloisa James and said, "Thank you." for writing books that kept my wife believing in love until I could get here to prove to her that love is real oh my god I'm about to cry and yeah wow he he did it I didn't do it he did it. wow wow what was her reaction I um she was she was like a little bit like boggled I think (laughs) you know a little bit like wow I wasn't that you know like yeah. I'm just standing here trying to get a for you know, like I didn't expect that, but, uh, she was, she was incredibly gracious and incredibly lovely. And, um, I think she said something along the lines of, well, you know, like, well, well, it's, it's your job now to keep that going or something <laughs> along those lines. And, you know, yeah. you know, and, and then he stood there and talked fishing with her husband. It was great. Um, oh, how wonderful. Oh my God. That's wild stuff. So, yeah. Um, but it was really funny because I, um, apparently Eloisa James like I've talked to I've met Julia Quinn and she's lovely I've met Kathy Maxwell and she's lovely I've met like I've had the chance to meet and so many incredible authors that I just respect the hell out of and mm. and it's always a thrill and it's always a joy but there's something about Eloisa makes him a complete and total ass of myself oh every time <laughs> like, <laughs> And I've discovered I can do it in multiple formats. It's not just in person. In email, I make an ass of myself in email, too. It's wonderful. Like, I'm like, okay, I just need to accept that this is the person that I'm always going to be a dork over. Always. Always. That's excellent, though. I love it.
1: <laughs> I totally love it. There are people in my life I'm like that with, too. I'm like, you just go away, Karen. Because, no, go away. Oh, my God. I mean, Al. I mean, yeah. <laughs> with our our writerly multiple personalities i know the multiple mpds (laughs) over here oh my god well (laughs) let's dig into your steamy scene okay any rogue will do um set this up for us okay so
0: at this point uh they've already been intimate in several ways but they have not actually had full on pnv okay um this is the night after or this is the night of their engagement ball where she has finally told him that this relationship is actually real because like up until now this has been a fake relationship got it and um and he's made it very clear that like he's all in if she is and she's uh finally said you know like he, he's like does that mean you're actually going to marry me and, she, and she's like i think so like i mean because which the dialogue works the two of them you know <laughs> i'm sure that someone would actually want a little bit more of a romantic whatever but for her she was like yeah i think so um and so he ha- this is actually after he's gone under her dress and eaten her out on balcony That's during the such a fun call. scene <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then basically she's like come and do that again and uh you know i'll let my maid i'll have my maid who's her name is darling and she's absolutely wonderful and right. she's kind of a fan favorite um you know i'll have i'll have darling let you in And so she is, um, she knows he's coming. She knows they're finally going to actually have full sex Um, in her mind. Like she's finally accepted that she's going to marry him and that how she feels, uh, she isn't ready to put the big L L label on it yet, but um, she's finally accepted that like, they're going to make a life together. And she's emotionally, she's there now. And um, he's been there for a while. And, uh, so yeah, that that's what the setup is, is they're in her bedroom and, um, her maid, you know, drew her a bath. Yep. He comes in, he's in the bath. And, uh, this was the where I had to have like the, the her joking about him being, uh, him blaspheming when he sees her breasts for the first time, because like I said, they've messed around, but it's, has never been like full on naked and seeing each other in there in there all together right
1: they kind of get in clinches like out like like in places where you can't just just disrobe
0: exactly (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) or someone could walk in at any point or some whatever you know like you know this was actually this is actually really their first time of like it's you and me and we have all night
1: like we can lock the door yeah yeah all right cool okay so darling has just i just want to read this little bit it's not very long the first little bit that, that um that ice that i that sort of struck me and darling has just drawn the bath and um and okay so i'm just going to read this after pinning her hair up she sank into the tub in front of the fire lottie closed her eyes and took a deep breath filling her senses with citrus-scented air hot water soothed her muscles Dragging that heavy dress around all night had been a far more physical experience than the average evening entertainment, and her neck ached from the weight of the wig. I kind of really loved this setup and the fact that a woman would be exhausted from her clothes. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, oh my God, how
0: much did it weigh? (laughs) (laughs) And actually, (laughs) that particular detail you can thank Elisa James for, because... At that at that ball, she was wearing this kind of gown with that kind of wig, and she was like, "This wig is going to kill me. Like this wig is going to fall off into someone's food in the middle of the day. I have it pinned all the hell in back, but like this wig is going to kill me, and my neck is killing me under the weight of it." She had this fantastic towering wig, and so I I had. It's funny the little details that you pull from life into your writing. (laughs) Because I've never read, I've never worn a giant towering wig. I don't don't have that.
1: But it just really drew me in because I was like, oh my God, she isn't just drawing a bath because she wants to sort of, you know, foof it up as your husband says. But but it is because physically she is actually exhausted because she's been dragging around this huge ass outfit. <laughs> yes. that and now they wore a ton. And now she's about to like have monkey sex. Like, go. <laughs> mentally preparing herself yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you got to rejuvenate i think she might need a snack too you know <laughs> okay so we're going to um we're going to bounce bound bounce bounce dab dab jump down a bit and um now he's sort of ethan has just seen her breasts for the first time which are lush <laughs> um let me see where are we yes okay they stared at each other for a heartbeat if only he could always look at her as he did now unrealistic but a fine goal at last he reached her mouth and she welcomed him tunneling one hand into his hair as if to anchor him to her his hands traveled a deliberate path down her back over her hips and grasped her firmly where her thighs creased under her bottom a gasp escaped when he lifted her off her feet wrapping her thighs around his hips to carry her toward the bed. Everywhere he touched, a trail of pebbled goose flesh followed. Sensation and desire tangled with a ribbon of joy coursing through her. The way he looked at her quieted any lingering nerves. Ethan didn't try to be proper or restrained, thank God, because neither did she. She wanted the man who'd licked her into a passionate climax while under her skirt on the balcony and cornered her for heated kisses in the servant hallway. All right this was super sexy <laughs> and I kind of loved how you slid us back and forth in and out of the sex, sexy bits, like, like speeding it up, slowing it down, speeding it up, slowing it down. The pacing of it was really, I mean, it was, I mean, it was lush like her breasts and, so well, <laughs> <you>. <laughs> and I was kind of curious, like how, how aware are you when you write this of the pacing?
0: Um, in the actual scene itself. I think it just ends up being kind of organic. Okay. Um, The pacing of scenes, I tend to go like up and down and up and down and up and down, like scenes themselves, but um, where it's like super happy. And then like, (laughs) the happy, (laughs) the tragic, the happy, the yeah. You you know, where it's like back to reality, we plummet. Um, But I, uh, in this one, it was more about like her, it's her interiority, you know, where she was at emotionally and she's connecting all of the dots. Okay. Um, Lottie as a character is very structured. Lottie as a character, she likes order. She likes, and so for her to allow herself to just kind of submit to sensation, mm. um, she had to get there. Like she was never going to be the type of, the type of, of heroine who just threw herself in and went, yay, this is fun. You know, um. Like that book three, book three, that's the heroine. She's just like, this feels good. Let's do it. Um, but Lottie was, Lottie likes to She, that's, that's how she coped. So she had to, there had to be that, that back and forth within her of um, deliberately making choices and connecting the dots before she finally felt safe enough to just trust him to carry her through it.
2: Okay.
1: Oh all right oh next bet this was wonderful this part i love this part <laughs> <laughs> it was like unwrapping the best present in the world with layers of clothing coming off his large frame the edge of the bed dipped as he removed his boots and breeches the shifting lines of heavy muscles on his back and arms enthralled her his body differed from hers in so many ways and she ached to explore every glorious inch With one hand, she pushed him to his back across the bed, then crawled atop him. Skin to skin, she spread her fingers over the ridges and plains, finding the spots that made his breath catch. With (laughs) short hands, he settled her legs on either side of his hips. Pushing his hardness against her, he paused against her center. You sure you wouldn't rather wait till after the wedding? She reached for the bowl by the bed and handed him the French letter. You're Scottish. Who needs official ceremonies anyway? Didn't your country used to hand fast? Now show me how this works. We've we've been known to play fast and loose with the formalities, but I had to ask. He made a noise. Sorry, I can't do Scottish. I mean, I can, but right now I can't. He made a noise deep in his throat when she stroked him. The silky smooth hardness of his body was fascinating. Her giggles began when he tied the ribbon around the base of his re- erection. Darling's earlier teasing came to mind, and Lottie finally understood. Another short laugh escaped as as a snort, and Lottie clapped a hand <laughs> over her mouth to stifle the sound. Raising a brow, Ethan said sardonically, "'It's heartening that you aren't intimidated by what we're about to do, lass.' "'How?' she gasped. "'How could I be scared when your member is tied up like little girl's pigtails?' She leaned forward, burying her face in his chest, trying desperately to contain her giggles, An answering chuckle rumbled under her cheek. "'If you're going to laugh, at least humor me by calling it a cock and not my member. We, we aren't meeting for tea time, lass. "'Tis a cock.'" The body part under discussion remained hard and ready between them. Recovering from the absurdity of seeing a satin ribbon around it, she stroked him again and felt the arousal within her flare when she repeated the word I love your cock. It's a beautiful cock, especially with its pretty blue ribbon, but she would not say that for fear of collapsing with mirth again. <laughs> This was so funny and so sexy all at the same time. But I have to ask you about
0: the ribbon. I was like, <laughs> is this a Regency cock ring? No, no. It's how they kept the, the French letter on. Oh, it was, it was a sheath. It, it was, was a sheath. sheath.
2: I wasn't sure what a French letter,
1: was, letter a was. I took, I took that serious, like literally like the, like the French had something to say
0: about this. <laughs> <laughs> and they sent a letter. <laughs> No. A French, okay. So history. Um, so a French letter was a sheath. It was basically, it was like sheep intestine. So it was like, right. And that's how, that, that's okay. why they had to soak it. So it was soft. Right. And um, the main reason why they used it was actually to prevent venereal disease, but um, it has the fun, you know, it blocks the sperm and right. therefore, you know, it's, it's an early version of what we would call a condom. Well, and there's some back and forth to like, if they actually called them condoms at that point, how condoms were named, it's, it's a whole Google thing. Again, hi to the agent, the special agent who was in charge, who was in charge of like monitoring my Google searches. <laughs> but um, my, they did call them, they called them French letters because it was the whole concept was, uh, and I actually, I've read somewhere that in France, they call them, they called them English letters. Oh, like how it funny. Was like, it was this whole like, no, we're protecting ourselves from you. No, we're ourselves from you you know and because during the war obviously you know the men were getting their jollies somewhere and so it was about trying to make sure that they didn't just like spread the pox everywhere right and so it was about venereal diseases but it's a sheath made out of very thin like intestinal material um and you have to keep that sucker on there somehow and so there's like a little gusset on the bottom and it's like a drawstring satin bow that you tie around the base of your cock Oh my God. And I thought that 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 would just like for a woman who had never seen one before and had this is the first time, and she's just kind of like an analytical person anyway, so she's going to notice the details. And I remember writing this scene, I was actually in the car. We were in the middle of a road trip and we were driving through and it was like in the dark and I just started snort laughing. I imagine. My, amaz- husband, <laughs> my husband's like, are you entertaining yourselves with your imaginary friends again? Yes, I am. And they're <laughs> awesome. Because <laughs> she's just like, she was just cackling. I was not intending. It's not my plan. Like for the scene, it just sort of happened.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. And I didn't even know what the hell a French look li- like. I literally was like, I don't know why the French are writing them, but okay, because the ribbon thing is fantastic. <laughs> and I was over here thinking it was like a Regency era sex toy. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm fascinated. <laughs> It was even more fascinating than I thought it was. Okay, now that I'm completely ashamed of my ignorance, (laughs) we'll just move along. Drawing the mass of her hair aside, Ethan placed open wet kisses along her neck and rolled them over. Lost to sensation, Lottie stopped thinking and simply felt. With their fingers intertwined, he pinned her hands overhead and trapped her in his gaze just as effectively. Sparks built, tingling up her inner thighs to the point where their bodies joined, then spiraling up her abdomen like embers caught in the wind. Oh my God. This was such a beautiful just like that bit it was just so gorgeous. Oh thank you. Um and I, I loved I loved the the sort of the balance that you got between just the beauty of the writing and the eroticism of the writing. I thought, and how they were able to sort of intertwine so well. Um, and I, I actually really just love this. I mean, I'm like holding out this scene like anytime I feel stuck. like this is kind of like one of the scenes I'm going to be pulling out.
2: Oh, that's to, awesome!
1: <laughs> yeah, to like look at and kind of dissect, like okay, like you're like how how do you okay how do you do this again? Yeah. <laughs> um Just because I, I love the way that they're so firmly intertwined, and it's just it's actually just it's so gorgeous to read. I think i read this. I don't even know how many times I read this uh, to pull the bits out. It was like a number of times, um, just reading and rereading it because it was so beautiful and wow. hard to and hard to whittle down. sorry (laughs) like I could read this whole thing but no I can't but I could (laughs) (laughs) very last little bit the vibration of his chuckle rumbled under her ear burrowing her nose and the side of his neck she breathed him in contentment turned her bones to jelly and she let the gentle brush of his fingers down her spine lull her I'll never get tired of touching you love she murmured sleepily then don't stop I was like, "Okay, this is probably the most romantic sex scene I've ever read." Oh, wow. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's so, you know, you know, again, I'm kind of coming to this in the I don't know at what point in the book is this? It must be pretty pretty far if they're if it's the 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 night before their wedding night
0: well yeah it's it's basically this is well it's not before their wedding night it's um well it's before their wedding night but not the night before oh it's not Um, the night after this all hell breaks loose so probably about 70% of the book maybe 75% of the book okay if I had to guess I don't know if
1: but I mean still a good chunk of the book has gone by and I just felt like the characters were so finely drawn that I felt like I knew them and it wasn't like jumping into a scene and with you know with the exception of you know, the French thing, the French letter thing, uh, <laughs> like jumping into a scene and being like, I don't know these characters, what the hell is going on? You know, like there was none of that. It was like, there was, it was so, it was so clear who they were, what they were like, what their connection was, how they felt about each other, Um, just in this scene that was really kind of extraordinary to read. Thank you.
0: That oh. means a lot. Thank yeah. you.
1: It was, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. So, so next up for you is uh, which uh, Misfits of Mayfair, no mm-hmm. Miss West and Earl, second yeah. book two in the Misfits of Mayfair yes. trilogy, which um, comes out in June. So it should already be out by this by the time this uh, this goes. Oh,
0: cool. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, so, June 29th is when it drops. So it's right at the end of June.
1: Excellent.
0: And uh, it that is that is Calvin's story. Cal's story where um you're uh, he's like the best friend in any rogue will do and he was kind of a a reader favorite they're like oh my gosh I can't wait for Cal's story I'm like well then lucky you you don't have to wait because (laughs) that's 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 coming up (laughs) now
1: because of the trilogy did you know uh who's like did you or were you kind of like by the seat of your pants with this or did you have an idea of it was going to be a trilogy who it was going to be about
0: uh once Cal came on the page early on. And he comes on very early. He's in the first scene. Okay. I was like, okay, you're, you're, you're the next hero. Like you're just, Aww. cause I kept having to rein him in. Okay. He's, I mean, he's basically, I mean, he's just a walking snark fest anyway, but like, I just kept having to rein him in. I'm like, dude, like, can it, you get a book. It's okay. You can chill. Like, just, <laughs> just you're next. Okay. Fine. So there was no, like, I mean, it was funny, I actually, I, I read something somewhere where they're talking about if you're, if you're writing a trilogy, then, like, you have to make sure that people want to read the last one. And so, like, take the most popular character and put the put them at the end. I'm like, yeah, I did. That's no, sorry. And so. <laughs> 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 so in some ways, it was just by the seat of my pants. Um, and uh, at the very, very end of any or I I mean the very end, it's like the last three pages, um, though, it's in the epilogue. There's a guy that's on the page you know, if for people that haven't read it. I don't want to spoil him. I don't want to spoil it, but um, there's <laughs> uh, he's on the page, like a page, like literally like just like a page. But he started talking and he again, he was like funny as hell and really, really loud in my head. And I went, oh, oh, you're the hero for book three. Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up with was actually every hero and heroine in the trilogy is either discussed or active in the first book.
1: So did you sell the trilogy when you, when you sold it or did, did. you sell book one? Oh, okay. It was, right. it was a
0: three book deal. Okay, it was a three book deal. Excellent. And so, um, oh, and because this, this podcast will probably be live in June, um, is relevant information. Um, any rogue will do is going to be a Kindle monthly deal. And which of course means that, um, the other formats will, will definitely match, but it'll be only be $1.99 for the entire month of June. Oh. So so the book that we're talking about is on sale for ninety nine.
1: Ooh, I'll uh, remind me to Wait. do a social post because I don't know if this will be out in time for that. Yeah,
0: for all this of it might June. not come
1: out till July. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, <laughs> okay.
1: Well, for all of June, I am I'm um, so, luckily
0: yeah. backlogged for a while. There, I,
1: I was not backlogged, and then my day job got really busy, and so I moved to like an every other week schedule for the podcast. And and yeah. now I've I've got a a good um a good backlog of interviews again. Um, so I don't I might go back to the weekly release now that my day job is kind of calming down
0: again. I'm glad the day job is calming down a little. <laughs> juggling it has got to just be so hard it is not fun yeah
1: (laughs) yeah it's not my favorite thing but yeah um so I'm not entirely sure when this will go out but I don't think we'll make it for June so if you remind me I'll totally do a social media post about about it though because it's a really wonderful um wonderful book and and people should buy it well thank you along with the second one and the third
0: (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, but by then they'll be like, no waiting. And they can just dive into the second one.
1: Well, I mean, that's sort of the great thing, right? Is was like, <laughs> so does this mean you're a plotter or a pantser? Cause I didn't ask that before.
0: Um, you know, I, what I usually tell people, like the, the example I usually give, I am the dad who's on the road trip and who's lost and refuses to ask for directions. Perfect. I like, I know where I'm going, but I have no idea where, how I'm getting there. I love it. I so I'm it. like halfway between a blotter and a panther. <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I'm there I'm right there with you.
1: Okay. So Bethany, where can readers find you on the internet?
0: Okay. Um, my website is BethanyBennettAuthor.com. I am Beth writes kissing books on Instagram. (laughs) And honestly, I really love Instagram the most. I have to admit, I I love, I love Instagram. That's where you live. That's, that's kind of where I like to live. Um, Twitter, if you are a diehard Twitter person, you can find me at Bethany Romance. And um, I, I do pop in over there, but I don't, I don't share as much personal stuff. I don't, you know, Whereas Instagram is really where you kind of get to know me.
1: You're great on um, IG. I will say that. You I love your Instagram posts. So well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank like, I'm like...
0: That's that's definitely that's definitely the format where I'm like, this is me in all of my glory. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like coffee? Do you like cats? Do you like kissing books? If so, you're in the right place. <laughs> um, <laughs> Are you on TikTok yet? I am not on TikTok. And my daughter is big on TikTok. She has like 20,000 followers. And like, oh my God. Like, yeah and I, and and part of me wants to be like, teach me your ways. And part of me is like, no, I can't. Like I just can't. I can't <laughs> handle one more platform. Um, you can find me, Bethany Historical Romance on Facebook. Um I have a a uh, a page there, and I also have a private reader group that's called the Hive Great. um that's uh the beehive. And so you can find me there and join there. Um the hive is still really small. It's just like my little intimate reader group. Um it's still very small, but they get the fun stuff, like, um, all. they get all the news first. Mm-hmm. They get, um, you know, live reading that I'm working on. They get things like that. What, that's what they get, basically. <laughs> For putting up with my crap, they get content. So do you, um, you, you read
1: some of the stuff that you're working on before it's edited and stuff? You'll bring mm-hmm. it in there? Oh, my God, yeah. that's so brave.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this is probably going to completely change by the time it actually hits the thing. I actually I'm doing.
1: love that idea, though. That's really brave. Well, I always wonder, like, what doing. am I going to do for a live if I go, for, like, if I do a live, what am I going to do? For, and that is actually a very brave thing to do. And yeah. I might, I might try that. I don't
0: yeah, know. Yeah, like, for Christmas, we did, like, an ugly sweater party that was just, like, a big Zoom room where everyone showed up. And and I, and I read um, the first chapter of any, Rogue, of uh, West End Earl, because it, this was back at Christmas time. And so, you know, Rogue had only been out for, like, three months. And so um, I read the first, the first chapter of West End Earl at that point. Um, and I wore like the most ridiculous sweater you've ever seen in your entire life, and I jingled every time I moved. It was really fun. Oh, that's um, excellent. So yeah, so there's there's that that little group, and with the promo, I'm doing like a promo giveaway um, type of thing that's just for my Hive members. And I, what I did was because I try to try to put sensory elements into the books. You know, you try to really like let them let the reader be there. And as a result, and I also have an editor who's like, but what do they smell like? So I, I have, <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I ended up. I thought, well, okay. So I actually made little fumes that are, um, uh, it's jojoba oil, beeswax, essential oils that are each heroine's scent. Oh, how and fabulous. I'm, and I'm doing a little giveaway that's just for, and it's just like, and it's each, they're just little perfumes. And I mean, you can always like order more and you know, then you end up paying for it, whatever. Like if, if we, if, if you like totally fall in love with it, but um my sister is an aromatherapist. And so we went, we got to work in the kitchen and made um little sample. They're the little tubs, like the little uh, cosmetic um yeah. samplers yep. that are like yep. 0.17 ounces or something. And, um, so it's a little sample of all of the all of the heroines and their scents, and um, and that's kind of like a giveaway that I'm doing for my hive members that um, that's just for just for them and just, uh, just for this uh, this release. And um, my my publicist really liked the idea, so she's taking fifty cents and she's giving them to reviewers that are like like first come first serve kind of thing, like as a thank you gift from me. But oh, otherwise, the other hundred sets that I have are all going to go to Hive members. So I I do have, um, I try to stay active on the social media, um, platforms, but I also try, I'm trying to limit the number of social media platforms.
1: It's a lot. It's, it it really is. is.
0: It's a lot. It It can turn into a full-time job. It can
1: very easily, very, very easily. So, yeah. Bethany, thank you so much for being here. It was such a treat to talk to you.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I'm sorry it ended up being so long, but I, it was an absolute joy to talk to you. Oh, no, it was totally worth it. I'm I'm not really,
1: I don't worry about time so much. So this was great. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we weren't sitting here going, well, I don't know what to say. What do you want to say? I don't know what to say.
0: <laughs> I think you can say there are definitely very few awkward pauses. <laughs> <laughs> you can come back anytime. So well, um, we should do this again. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. And maybe next time we can do the scene where Fee is a total badass. And by that point, it's not a spoiler. Yes,
1: yes, that I would love. (laughs) Yes, you have to come back to do that. Yay, we have a plan, guys. We We have a plan. plan. (laughs) Awesome. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.